So, church family, does it feel like Christmas to you yet? Okay, I see some of you guys are the Grinch in the family. Okay, that's fine. You might be the Grinch in the family if you are not feeling the Christmas cheer, but that's okay. You are welcome here. <laughs> uh, Merry Christmas. Let's just practice it. Go ahead, turn to the person next to you, whoever's nearby, and just say Merry Christmas. It's hard to be angry when you're wishing somebody a Merry Christmas. <clears throat> uh, and if someone says Merry Christmas to you, do not say, bah, humbug. Okay, don't do that. Just say Merry Christmas. But the truth is, let's just be honest, we're not all merry this Christmas. Some of us need a Christmas miracle. Are you in need of a miracle today? Are you in need of a miracle? See, I... I was uh, on my way in, um, my, my family's not here, my daughter's singing at the academy, so, so we can talk about this. Um, I was on my way in to church this morning, we were driving, and uh, the kids said, Dad, Dad, play some, play some music, um, and I plugged my phone in, and we typed in Christmas, Christian Christmas, and the song that came up was the Christmas Shoes song. Anybody know what that song Okay, if you're young, you're like, what is the Christmas shoes? All right, <laughs> it's, a, it's kind of an older song. It talks about the little boy who wants to buy shoes for his mom. Uh, anyway, so we're driving in the car, and the kids are in the back. They're like, Dad, this song is so sad. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm in the front, you know, just kind of choking back the tears. But between you and me, I recognize that Christmas is a difficult time for me. See, I love Christmas. I love the pageantry. Uh, but my parents, I mean, my family, my dad and my mom and my brother, they died the day after Christmas on the 26th. And it's not something that I carry with me, but today, this morning, it hit me. Uh, the Christmas is a sad time, or was. And so I recognize I'm probably not alone, and that there may be some of you today or friends or family that you know for whom Christmas is not exactly the merriest, happiest time of the year. And so I recognize that maybe for some of us, even though this, is, this season is supposed to be fun and full of cheer and, and spirit, for some of us it's tough. Maybe this year in particular has been a tough year for you, and you need a Christmas miracle. And I think that's why God has been sending me to this story in, in 2 Kings uh, chapter 7. So I'm going to invite you to turn there with me. If you've brought a Bible with you, great. If not, there is one in the pew in front of you. Or uh, if you would like to download our app, uh, check out the bulletin, click on our website, and there's an app there. We have a, we have a, a Bible um, a tab on our, on our Bonita app, and, and I want you to follow along with me. We're in 2 Kings chapter 7, 2 Kings chapter 7. Now, we're in the Old Testament. We've been in the Old Testament uh, the last half of this year, and uh, if we, if, if, as long as we're being honest, as we were getting ready to start the Christmas season, <clears throat> I was struggling because we've been studying the life of Elisha, the prophet Elijah, I mean Elisha, and he's been, uh, God has been giving us great things to learn from him, but when you went to Christmas, you want to do this whole thing where the lights are twinkling and you want to preach happy things, but God won't let me go from the life of Elisha. So it was, last week, if you were with us, we began this particular story, or at least told the first part, 
from chapter 6 of the book of 2 Kings. And it's, it's a gruesome story of people that are in desperate need for a miracle. Uh, if you were with us, I struggled with it, and I know it was tough, and we're going to continue there. But between you and me, as I got up and I started to preach, at the corner of my eye, you guys didn't know this because the room was dark, but at the corner of my eye, I saw the conference president. Her name is Sandy Roberts. She's my boss, like the big boss. And she walked in last Saturday, like, and snuck in and just sat right over there where you are, Isis, right there. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I was like, I'm going to be preaching about cannibalism. And oh, maybe I should change my sermon. Let's go to the New Testament and preach something happy. And, but God would not let me go. So I just looked away. So if you guys were sitting there and I didn't look your way, it's because I was trying to avoid the president. I was preaching over here. Um, because the truth is, this story is not a Christmas cheer story. At least it doesn't appear that way. And so I asked God. God said, nope, I won't let you go. You have to be here. And I'm like, it's December. We're singing joy to the world. Well, not yet, but, but he says, nope, we have to be here. And so we began our conversation about this particular story in Elisha's life. See, the other ones, are, are, they feel more wholesome, but this one is, is grim and, and brutal. If you were with us, I'm going to give you a, a quick recap. If you weren't, we're in 2 Kings chapter 6, the Bible tells us that the people of God, the 12 tribes of Israel, you know, they have left Egypt long ago. They traveled to the promised land. And eventually, these, this, this group of people, the 12 tribes, became two separate kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was called the kingdom of Judah, made up of two tribes, Benjamin and Judah. The northern kingdom is made up of the other 10 tribes. I won't ask you to remember the names. Just, we just call them Israel, <laughs> the kingdom of Israel. They had to split up, and they each had a king, and they had a capital city. And last week, we began to read the story in 2 Kings chapter 6 about this capital city, the city of Samaria. It was a fortified city built with walls, and it gave them great protection and great standing in the region. But, but when the enemy came, the king of Syria and all his armies, they laid siege to the city. That means they surrounded the city and wanted to choke it out. And we read in 2 Kings that the strategy was very effective. And eventually inside of the city, there was a great famine. And things got so bad. We read last week with the conference president right there. That moms began to boil their own children to eat. Uh, I mean, I, 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 it's just hard to think of as a parent. But the Bible records this, that things got so bad and people were so desperate. They were not only eating undesirable parts of animals and bird droppings for soup, but they were boiling their own children. And the situation was de desperate inside the city. There was such great hunger. And when people are really hungry, they do desperate things. When people are starved, they lose their ability to think clearly. And they do desperate things. And so we read there, the people of God were desperate. But sometimes when we look at a situation, when we look at a, a, a challenging moment, they clearly needed a miracle. Sometimes we wonder, where is God? And why, does this, why did this happen if these were God's people, if this is Israel? And what I proposed to you last week what, was that what's happening in 2 Kings is actually a fulfillment of a prophecy from Deuteronomy. See, when, this, when all these people left Egypt, right when they were at the edge of crossing into their future, God said to them, I offer you blessings or curses. It's really up to you. 
God says, if you trust me, I'm going to lead the way. Pillar of fire, I'm going to lead, I'm going to, I'm going to provide. If you trust in what I'm giving you, my, God's causes, my laws and ordinances, you will be safe. You will be provided. Wherever you go, I will watch over you and protect it. You will be blessed. But if you walk away from me, if you disregard my instructions, you put yourself at risk and you will receive curses, blessings or curses. Oftentimes when we see something in the Bible that's traumatic and difficult to understand, we, we begin to wonder why would God allow that. But essentially what God does is he gives us permission to choose our own path. You listen to me, family? He gives us choices that we can make that determine the outcomes of our lives. Yes, it's true. Sometimes you are responsible for where you find yourself. Now, I recognize that the world doesn't work exactly like that. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. We, we know that. But by and large, for the people of Israel, the story that we read last week is a direct result of their own choosing. You see, for some time now, they keep ignoring God. I mean, if you read the Old Testament, it happens over and over again. And God, as a loving father, cannot force them to love him back. And so he steps aside and he says, okay. And what we read in 2 Kings is that even their leaders, uh, their, their, their most significant influencers, didn't really trust in God. Descendants of King Ahab, the, the worst, married to Jezebel. You guys know Jezebel. Uh, they were reaping the benefits, or I should say the curses, of bad choices for generations. And even though God had pleaded with them and provided miraculously in the past, they kept ignoring and forgetting his instructions. So finally here in 2 Kings 6, God allows, or he says, okay, have it your way. And the Syrians come, they lay siege to the city, and they choke out the city from the outside. And things got so bad, they started to eat great gross things <laughs> and boiling children. And, and when we read that, it's, it's start, you know, startling and, and difficult to perceive. But the truth is, we all know someone who's under siege. Maybe this year or maybe this season. Someone whose life is being choked from the outside. See, when you're inside this, this, this wall, like the people are in, in, chapter, in chapter 6, when you're inside this wall, initially it feels like it's for your own protection. But over time, this wall becomes a prison. The Israelites were inside the walls of the city, and they couldn't get out. They couldn't go uh, uh, to gather food, to, to sell or to buy. Eventually, they ran out of their own supplies, and, and they couldn't leave. They were afraid of the surrounding army. See, that's what a siege does, is it creates a sense that you are trapped and that you can never get out. Have you felt like that this year? Or are you feeling like that right now? Do you know someone who is under siege? See, I, I'm convinced that God keeps leading me back to this, this story in this verse because I think that in some ways there are some of us who are stuck in that place. We are under siege. Life didn't go the way we want to, and now we are, we're, we're all trapped, maybe by our past choices. We think that things are never going to change. Things can never get better. I can never find my way out. I'm stuck. We're under siege. And things are just getting worse and worse and worse. Does anybody follow? Are you following me? 
you know anyone? And, 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 and when you're in that place, you need a miracle. You need a miracle. And God has been telling me there might be somebody in my church that needs a miracle. See, when you're inside what once was a strength, it becomes a debilitating weakness. What once was a strength becomes a trap. Sometimes in our journey, we shield ourselves off. Listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. It may be not true for you, but it might be. Some of us have pushed other people away and have created a wall around ourselves to protect ourselves. And what once we thought was a strength has now become a crippling weakness. We are isolated and afraid and unwilling. Stuck. Walled ourselves off from our friends, significant others. Sometimes we get stuck in this place because we have debilitating anxiety about what might happen if we venture. Maybe we need a change of scenery, but we just can't do it because we're afraid. Fear becomes a, a, the walls that incarcerate us. And we need a miracle to get out and to get past. Sometimes it's pain, suffering, something that you've gone through, a heartbreak of this year, and you just can't seem to get past it. I'm only telling you this because I understand to some degree what it's like. As I have confessed to you already, this year has been difficult for me and for my family. And there have been moments where I felt like I was under siege. I just didn't know how I was going to get out. Like, like you can't imagine. But therein lies the question. Is it possible? Can things change? Does God even exist? You know, we put out the trees and we're going to have a pageant. But are we just putting on the show? Or is it possible that there still is a God? See, in the middle of this siege right there when things are really, really bad, people are boiling their own children, they're, 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 they're doing crazy things, God sends a word. Second Kings chapter 7. Are you there? Are you there? If you are, say Amen. Okay, people, we're going to read the Word of God because that's what we do in the house of God, right? We want to hear the will of God, so we look at the Word of God. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. And Elisha replied, the man of God, the prophet says, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what God says. I love that. I love that because I think that when we're stuck in a place, we're under siege, where we feel trapped, like I can't get past this moment, I can't get past this situation, we need a miracle. And when we need a miracle, God speaks. Okay, you didn't hear me. <laughs> when we need a miracle, God speaks. That's the, that's the part where you say amen. Even if you have trouble believing that, trust me, you want to say amen. Because if you need a miracle, you need someone other than yourself. You need someone greater than you. A, a, a power more, more powerful than what you can imagine in the circumstances that you're facing. So when, when you are in that place, when they were in that place, Elisha says, hear now the word of the Lord. This is what God says. I think many times we're stuck in this wall because we refuse to hear what God is trying to say. We're stuck inside these walls and we're under siege and we refuse to listen to the word of God. But you know what? Elisha is 
in the city also. I think that's, I found that really disturbing for a little while, and I thought, wow, that's pretty awesome that God would let the man of God also suffer the famine. That he's in the city too. He's also eating bird poop soup. Maybe, maybe you never thought about it that way. But let me dispel the myths. Just because I stand up here doesn't mean I'm in better, any better condition than you are there. I suffer the same challenges. I encounter the same obstacles. My family hurts just as much as yours. We're in this together, friends. God left Elisha inside of Samaria. He was hungry just like the rest of them. But when they began to turn on each other and boil each other's children, Elisha says, hear now the word of the Lord. This is what God says, and I proposed this to you yes, last, last Sabbath, and it says, about this time tomorrow. <laughs> about this time tomorrow. See, here's what I want you to know. If you're in that place, if you know someone, I want you to share this with them. If you're in that place, you're under siege, I want you to know that God has a tomorrow in mind for you. There is a tomorrow. Turn to the person next to you, whoever's nearby, just say, there is a tomorrow. Look at him. Give him that nod. There is a tomorrow. There is a tomorrow. If today has been difficult, if you're struggling today, if this week has been hard, there is a tomorrow. And I want you to know that God has been preparing for that tomorrow. So the prophet says, I know it's tough. But about this time tomorrow, and he begins to lay out that there's going to be so much food that, that everything is going to go on the cheap, a, a, a sack of barley for just one shekel. And you guys know because we studied this last week, the, 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 the king's officers, the people responsible for leading, they said impossible. Even if God would open the floodgates of heaven, this could not happen. And that is essentially the question that lies before us. Can God still do miracles today? I'm going to ask you again. Can God still do miracles today? If you don't believe that, then it's going to be very difficult for you to taste the miracle of God. Because, see, miracles require faith. And faith is believing in something you have not yet seen. That's why the Bible says, by faith. By faith. Can God still do miracles today? What I do know is that we do need miracles today. Amen? We need help. Come on, people. We need help. Just look around your neighborhood. Look around your society. Look around our country. We need help. The world needs help desperately. I know we're all sort of numb to it because it happens so much. But this week I've just been just like devastated by how easily we take lives here in the U.S. and around the world, how easily we just take lives. There's an outbreak of um, measles in uh, Samoa. You guys hear that? An outbreak of measles, and people are dying by the thousands, mostly kids. Um, and they, they can't vaccinate people. They shut down the government. They can't get to them. Uh, the, the world is suffering. People are being displaced and people are dying. People are being shot, killed. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking. We need a miracle. We need something more than what we've been trying. We're, we're desperate. 
And Elisha says, when you're desperate, look to God. Because we obviously have been able to figure this out. On our own, left our own devices, all we do is hide and hide and hide and hope. And if, it, if we were being honest, that's one of the things that we've tried to do as Seventh-day Adventists. We've tried to create walls and, and, and hide, lock ourselves in, in our schools, in our churches, in our Adventist ghettos. Come on now. And we've pretended that if we fortify the walls and raise them high enough, we'll be able to weather the storm. But the truth is we're doing sickening things inside the wall. We're pretending like the, like the king, wearing the sackcloth secretly, but there's no faith in our hearts. And in that moment, Elisha says, come on, people. There is a God, and this is his word. Tomorrow's coming. Tomorrow's coming. But if you're going to see it, you've got to believe it today. The word of God says, listen to this. This is fascinating. Elisha makes this prophecy, and the people respond in the same way that I expect you to respond. Because here's the truth. Let's just be honest. We're very cynical people. We are very, very cynical people. We hear, we're like, eh, I don't think so. Okay, pastor, whatever, sir, miracle. Yes, amen, but probably not. Right? We're like, yes, we need a miracle, but mm, unlikely. We're very cynical. The world has slapped us around, so we're very, very cynical. The world is cynical. There's not a lot of optimists out there. And in the middle of this the siege inside of the gates, the, the, the prophet says, God is working about this time tomorrow. God is on his way. He's coming. Just got to wait a little bit longer. He's coming tomorrow. And they said, no way. Even if God opened the floodgates, this is all fairy tales. But that very night, that very night in our story, that very night, look at this. Verse 3, chapter 7, 2 Kings. That very night, there were men outside of the gate, four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. And they turned to each other and they said, why stay here until we die? Now what's different, well, not so much different in other parts of the world, but what's different for them than it would be for us. Uh, people that have diseases usually get treatment. But in their culture, if you got these skin diseases by order of, of Mosaic law, you had to be quarantined. And the only way they could quarantine was to push you out. By Mosaic law, if you had this, this contagious skin disease, and it's highly contagious and, and, and very damaging, you had to live outside of the city. You weren't allowed to have regular contact with people. And so these lepers had to live outside of the city gates, and they relied on sort of the mercy, the kindness of the people that as they're com coming and going, they would throw them some food, give them some stuff. But they, they were not allowed to live in community with those that didn't have the disease. And the Bible tells us that there were these four men outside of the city gates and that, of course, when the walls had been shut down, the, the, the gates had been shut down under siege, they were outside. And as bad as it was inside, it was worse on the outside for them. There was no one to give them food, no, no way they could gather and, and get kindness from anyone. So the Bible tells us that at this point, that very night, as stuff is going on inside, as prophecies are being made inside, on the outside, these four men recognize that death is imminent. They say to themselves, we're just going to die here. There's no food. We haven't had any food. We're going to die. If we stay here, we die. But if we go into the city, even if they let us in, there's no food in there. If we go in the city, famine is there, we're going to die. If we stay here, we die. So they say to each other, why don't we go over there to the enemy? If 
We surrender and they spare us, maybe we live. But if they kill us, we die. We're going to die anyway. It's fascinating. These four guys are the most realistic <laughs> group of, of, <laughs> of, of, of God's children right there. Like, we're going to die here, we're going to die there, we may as well die over there. And at dusk, that very night, when the sun came down, quite possibly because the camp was a little further away, and on the wall, the, the Israelites were watching and didn't want to be seen. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the enemy. They're just going to throw themselves at the mercy of the enemy, beg for scraps. But when they reached the edge of the camp, nobody was there. Verse 6, for God had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. And these Arameans say to each other, oh no, the Israelites have extra help. The cavalry's here. Let's run for our lives. So they got up and they ran and they abandoned their tents, their horses. They left the camp as it was and just ran for their lives. They heard the thunderous sounds of chariots and, and fire and they, 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 they felt threatened and they took off. They went running. See, what's fascinating here is, is that <clears throat> the lepers didn't exercise any kind of faith. They didn't hear the prophecy. You see that? They didn't hear the prophecy, but they were willing to take a risk. It's a different kind of faith. They were willing to take a risk, and God rewarded them <laughs> with an unbelievable miracle. While there was unbelief inside the gates, God was working outside the gates. Listen, I'm going to tell you the truth. Even if you're sitting here right now and you're thinking, God can't help me, he's still preparing a way for you. That's how God is. God is outside the walls of your fear. God is outside the walls of your anxiety, of your sin, of your past, and he is preparing a way. He is sending down his army to find you. He is sending out these chariots. You know what this army is? It's the same army that Elisha said, open our eyes so we can see. The hills are full of horses, chariots of fire. See, God's army is constant. It's a constant presence right around you. I believe that. Do you? I believe that. But it is our decision whether to accept the blessing of the company of the chariots of angels or to reject it and receive instead the curse of trying to fight these battles on our own. The lepers reach the camp. Listen, the lepers reach the camp. But when they get there, they find the first tent and there's nobody in there. And they go in and they find food. So they drank and they ate and I'm sure they're choking on their uh, whatever it is that's going on there. And then they took silver, gold and clothes and they said, whoa, look at our luck. Have you ever found something you weren't supposed to find? And they, the Bible says that they ran off and hid these things. And then they returned, found another tent, and they took some more things and hid them. See, if you're a leper, it means you, you had nothing. You're literally, you know, just a clothes on your back. You're living at the mercy of people. But suddenly, there's plunder everywhere. There's stuff. And these lepers grab and they run. We're going to need this. This is a great and unbelievable opportunity. But verse 9 tells us that as they're doing this, as they're eating and drinking, they can't believe their fortune. They stop and they do something completely unpredictable. They look to each other. Verse 9, chapter 7, book of Kings, 2 Kings. They stop and they said, you know what we're doing? This isn't right. This isn't right. This day is a day of good news 
and we are keeping this all to ourselves. See, I think this is a, I, I, I don't know how to explain this, but this is the least expected group of people that would have this reaction. Because if I, if I have made it clear, these are outcasts of society. They've been, dis, you know, cast out, hated, held with disgust and contempt from afar. And this is their chance. I mean, if we were in their shoes, we would say, you know what? The way they treated me, right? Come on. The way they treated me, I'm entitled to this. I deserve this. This was their moment to become the most powerful people in all of Israel. Think about it. Inside, people are eating their own children. And now you've got food and gold and riches and stuff. Doesn't stuff make us feel powerful? Come on, Americans. Doesn't stuff make us feel powerful? Yes, yes. That's why there's Amazon, those Amazon vans all over the place. You know, right here, the parking lot of Plaza Bonita, they're like by the hundreds right over there. And they're roaming up and down because, you know, when you get that smiley face at your door, you're like, stuff. That's just, it's fascinating. I'm in the same place with you, trust me. I got a prime membership. And I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but, you know, when, you, when you're buying things that you need, come on, you need it, and, you, and, and then it says, do you want to um, receive all these things in fewer packages? Or do you want to get them as quickly as you can? And you're like, today, right? Send it today. Because stuff makes us feel powerful. Make us feel like we can control stuff. You know, if I got, finally got that scouring pad, I finally cleaned my, you know how it is. If I could only get this thing, I finally could. So we wouldn't fault them for thinking, you know, we finally have stuff which gives us power and authority and leverage, leverage. If I got food, they're going to have to let me in, right? If I got the goods, ha, huh, suddenly their attitudes are going to have to. This is the moment right here. This is the moment. But you know what they do? They look at each other and said, this ain't right. This is the, the least likely group to have this reaction. We wouldn't fault them if they didn't. But they stop and they say to each other, this day is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. Wow, we are keeping it to ourselves. See, family, I think that this Christmas season is a time for us to take stock, to do some reflecting. I recognize some of us are in the moment of siege. We're inside the gates, and we need a miracle. And to you and to me, I want to say God is on his way. There is a tomorrow, and he's preparing something. But you need to believe in it today. He is a good God. Let me say it again. He is a good God. He is for you, not against you. Everything that we do in this Christmas season is evidence that he loved us so much that he sent his son. And he came to this world to show us that there's nothing in the world or in the universe that God wouldn't do for you. He is on your side. And though you feel under siege today, tomorrow's coming. God is preparing something. Hang in there. I also think that there are some of us who have been under siege and God has miraculously provided for us. And if you're in that group, if you're in that place where you, you made it, you survived the year, and I know it was hard, and you made it through those days where you didn't know, and you're here, 
And somehow you've stumbled upon God's blessing even though you didn't deserve it. Even though there was no great act of faith. But maybe you risked a little bit and God rewarded that and you're here. And if that's you, like it is me, then I want to challenge you. Do you keep it to yourself? Or maybe this is just the right time to share it. Has God been good to you? Has God been good to you? Listen, I know he has been good to me. I know he has been good to me. As the worship team comes and joins me on the stage. That I will not deny. As the year 2019 comes to a close and the decade of the teens come to a close, I have to look back and acknowledge publicly and in all ways that God has been a good God to me. You know, the 10 years ago, I lived in the desert. Yeah, in the desert. Uh, it was dry, hot. And after living there for so many years, this is just between us, right? Can we keep this in the room? Can we keep this in the room? Because I love the people of the desert, but I'm just not a desert person. You know what I'm saying? I'm from San Diego. But after, after, after many, many years in the desert, I came to that place where I just felt like I'm never going to get out. I guess this is it. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here. And I needed a miracle. Ten years ago. And you know what God did? He sent me you. This amazing church of Bonita who took a chance on what used to be the youngest pastor in the region. Who has now become the oldest pastor in the region. I just can't say enough about how good God is. This last decade has been just one chapter or another of God's grace and mercy. Even though I found myself under siege many times. Even this year, as you know, in 2019, when uh, we lost our motorhome and lost our dream and we're in that ditch and the world and my dreams and all the promises that I was holding on to felt like it was closing in, I was desperate. And in those moments, God sent me you, my church family, my rooted family, people that prayed for me, people that encouraged my family and I. And they said to me, for a reason, God has spared your life. God has saved you yet once again. And in the, in the weeks and the months that followed that, I, I, I struggled. I struggled with sadness and loss and desperation. To, I'm just being honest. But God sent me amazing people to help me believe that there's a tomorrow. That there's hope still. People like you. Help me believe that it has not all been in vain. That, that these 10 years, and for me it's been close to 25 in ministry, have not been in vain. That there's great chapters yet to be written. And I might not be there to write them all, but God will continue to write. Because He is a God who is still working. When I'm in the middle of, of, of my seas and of my storm and the walls feel like I'm closing in, God is preparing a way out. I just got to hang in there for tomorrow. So I want to say God has been good to me. And I will not keep it to myself. How about you? I think it's too good to share. Because I know there's people right around us, right around you and me, that need to know that there's hope. That there is still a tomorrow that's on its way. So here's what I want you to do for me. I want you to ask God to impress upon your heart someone, a person in particular. 
that needs to hear these good news. That God is for them, not against them. That God loves and forgives. He does not condemn or deny. That God sent his son, whom we celebrate in this season, so that we could have hope for tomorrow. And I want God to impress that person on your heart so you can begin to pray for them. And you begin to ask for opportunities to say this in real life. Hey, friend, it's going to be okay. There is a tomorrow. God will deliver. And if I could be so bold, I want you to invite them to come to church on the 21st for Christmas. We will have a Christmas pageant here. There'll be no high evangelistic except to tell the story of Jesus, right? To tell the story that Jesus Christ is born, a promise kept, a promise held, a guarantee of a future fulfillment. So I'm asking you, has God been good to you? And if he has, are you just going to keep it to yourself? Or will you join me? This good news are too good not to share. Let's take this season. Yes, Maybe they won't come to church, but maybe you bring hope to them. But if God moves you, invite them to come. We've got plenty of room. We've got great desire. And we need you. We need you to take a risk, to take a chance. And may the God of the universe, who always kept his promise, keep his promise to us. For this I know, his love never fails. Let's stand and sing together.